They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in fact in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this morning, we want to come back to Hebrews chapter 11. We want to look at the life of Abraham this morning. And uh, what we want to remember is, as this writer is writing this book, keep in mind, he is writing to a people who, who he knows need to be encouraged. He feels the weight upon him as he writes these words, as he pins this letter that the very words that he is penning are going to be words that God will take and use to encourage these Jewish believers, these who've come out of Judaism and embrace Christ, not to quit, not to give up, not to go back to Judaism, not to turn away from Christ, not to commit apostasy. And that's the way he feels. What can I write What can I say that will strengthen them the most not to quit, but to persevere in faith? That's that's the setting. That's the weight now. And so he comes to chapter 11, and he uses the patriarchs. The avenue he uses that he thinks will most encourage them not to quit, not to give up, is the patriarchs. And what he attempts to do is he attempts to take the patriarchs, and we've looked at... uh, We've looked at Abel, we've looked at Enoch, and we've looked at Noah, and now he turns to Abraham and connect them to Christ. In other words, to show these Jewish Christians that somehow this Christ they have embraced is not disconnected to the patriarchs, particularly to Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch of all patriarchs for the Jewish people. And what he attempts to do is connect the story of Abraham to the story of Christ directly so that to, to, to cast aside Christ would also cast aside Abraham, both. That's what he wants them to see. You see, the, the newest thing they've encountered is Jesus Christ. The old thing that they knew for years and all of their growing up was Abraham. And so his goal is to connect those two things together. And the reason Abraham was so significant in the life of a Jewish person was because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And it started out like this, I will make you a great nation. They didn't want to lose that. They wanted to hold on to that promise. And so he attempts to show them how God's promise to make them a great nation, which is the part of that promise that they most clearly and and focused on the most. There was more to that promise. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the part they liked to hold on to the most was the very first. I will make you a great nation. And what he's attempting to show them, if they get rid of Christ, they get rid of that promise as well. They, they come together. They are a package. They are a unity, if you will. See, because that promise that we find in Genesis chapter 12 went beyond that, It said, I will make you a great nation. And then a little later says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
In other words, he tells Abraham, I will make you the father of a great nation. And then in you and in your lineage, lineage, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. I've already said to you, the Jewish people love the first part of that. I think in most cases, they miss the second part. They missed the second part. They made it all about them. They held the blessing and didn't share it. And so later God turns to the Gentiles to get the blessing out and the message of the blessing out. But they certainly held on to the first part of that. And so his goal now is to show them how you can't separate those two things. You can't separate Christ from Abraham and Abraham from Christ. So then I come to this morning and I think as I'm preparing this week, how do I encourage you as a people now in in this side of the cross? You see, what he did is he took Abraham and tied him to Christ. He took the old and tied it to the new. What I want to do this morning is I want to do the same thing. I want to encourage you, but I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to take it from Christ, which is the old for you, if you are a Christian today, you know lots about Christ. And the older part of what you know, or the the newer part of what you knew, probably is Abraham. And in fact, in many cases, tragically, in the church today, we've so separated the Old Testament from the New Testament that many who embrace Christ, the new, have nothing, know nothing about how the old connects to that, how the unity of that. And my, my conviction is that you will be strengthened as you see the unity of those two things. Christ back to Abraham. Abraham, or the writer of Hebrews went from Abraham to Christ. I'm going to go from Christ back to Abraham. But it's the same thing, the same goal, to show you there's a unity, to show you you cannot separate those two things from one another. And if you do, you will have trouble walking this life of faith. It, it You will not do it the way you will if you see those things together. So I'm going to do it in two ways. The way I want to do this connection is, first of all, I want to show you the unity of that message, how it is one message, same message, and secondly, the uniqueness of that message. So that's my outline this morning. First, the unity of the message, and secondly, the uniqueness of the message. That message. So first we go to the unity, and what I want to do is not look at Hebrews first, but I want you to turn to the book of Romans. If you can find Romans, do that this morning, or, or listen carefully. But in the book of Romans, I want to look at chapter 1, and I also want to look at the closing chapter of Romans. I want to look at two bookends that Paul puts in the book of Romans that I think has great application to the, what the writer of Hebrews wrote about Abraham in the chapter 11 of Hebrews. And how those two things, that what he wrote about in Hebrews chapter 11 and what Paul wrote about in chapters 1 and, and the last chapter, chapter 16 of Romans, come together. So let me, let me show you what that is. First of all, Romans chapter 1. Listen to, listen to the scripture here a minute, and I'll, I'll bring it together. It says here, Paul in verse 1, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. You begin to see a bit of the picture. He promised beforehand. This is the idea of going back to the prophets and to the patriarchs. He promised this beforehand. It didn't just all of a sudden come on the scene with Christ, but it had been the plan from the beginning. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says this, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring something about. And what the scripture says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's the phrase that I want you to take out of Romans chapter 1. Paul received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's, that's the mandate that Paul was given, to bring about the obedience of faith as he served as an apostle. Now go to the end of Romans, the very last chapter of Romans. And again, you're going to see that same phrase reiterated there in Romans chapter 16 at the close in a kind of uh, doxology that Paul moves into at verse 25. It starts there. Listen. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made to all nations. Again, he goes back, he goes back to the prophetic writings that, that, it was, that it was there that it started to be revealed. But then it says, might be known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to do something, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. So in the beginning of Romans, you have that statement, that clause, obedience of faith. And at the end of Romans, Paul comes back to it and he says, the obedience of faith. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 11, and it says, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abraham. I believe that what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16 and what we find reiterated in Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about the obedience of faith is one and the same. The obedience that comes from faith. The root of it is faith. The root of of Abraham's life and what caused him to be commendable to God, caused him to please God, was faith. By faith, he obeyed. It wasn't the obedience that was the root and the foundation, but the faith that caused the fruit to be obedience. I think that's the same kind of thing that Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. He's talking about faith. Faith now, as it's been more clearly revealed in Jesus Christ, who's the fulfillment of what Abraham was looking toward, but again, by faith. We have talked about this a number of times as we've walked through the book of Romans, that the foundation of being commended by God is faith. Faith in the promise of God. Faith in the promise of God. We are wired, when you see that word, obedience of faith, we are wired to look at the word obedience first. That somehow the commendation of God and the way we please God is through obedience. But the scripture gives a qualifier. It doesn't say by obedience. 
Paul doesn't say to bring about obedience. He says obedience of faith. The, the root and the foundation of that obedience is faith. Faith in the promise of God. And what I want to, want to try to do this morning is to show you that it was the same promise of God. The promise of God that made uh, Abraham commendable to God, the promise that he trusted, is the same promise that we trust in the New Testament sense. The same promise is what makes us commendable to God. It's the same thing in the New Testament that Abraham did in the Old Testament. The Bible says in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, in Genesis chapter 15, 6, and then it's brought over into Romans chapter 4, 3, that Abraham believed God. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed the promise of the gospel, the same gospel. It was not one thing in the Old Testament and another in the New Testament. It was the same gospel. And what I want to point out to you is the unity of that. The unity. The reason why the writer of, of Hebrews felt it so important to make sure that Christ was connected to Abraham. And what he's really trying to show is the same promise that New Testament believers see in Christ. The same promise you Hebrew Jewish Christians are trusting here is the same promise that Abraham was trusting that there's a unity in that. To do that, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in a, a number of places today. But Galatians chapter 3, it's clearly taught in the scriptures. And in Galatians chapter 3, listen to what it says. It's amazing to me how many times Abraham gets carried over into the New Testament. It's because it was, he was such a key figure. He was such a key figure to the Jewish people. He was such a key figure in Christianity, even though he was an Old Testament figure. But here in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7, this is what it says. And listen clearly to how the wording is. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Those of faith who are sons of Abraham. He's speaking to New Testament believers here. That somehow New Testament believers are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So the question is, you ask, where did he preach it? Where's the gospel in the Old Testament? Gospel in the Old Testament is the covenant that God made with Abraham when he said to him, um, I will bless you, and in you all the nations will in turn be blessed. That's the gospel. That is the gospel in the Old Testament right there. And what the writer of Galatians is saying is that that's the same gospel that Paul talks about in the New Testament and all over the New Testament. They're the same. There's a unity. The writer of Hebrews, as he's writing, is saying there's a unity in this. It says in verse 8, look at what it says there. In you, all the nations will be blessed. What does that mean? What did that promise to Abraham mean? That in you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. 
What does it mean to be in Abraham? What does that have to do with the gospel? How can that have something to do with the gospel? Let me, let me give you the trajectory of this, and then I'm going to have you to turn one more passage of Scripture, and we'll look at it. In Abraham, we read in Romans chapter 4, where we're going to turn in just a minute, that, that Abraham is the father of many nations. Abraham was the father of many nations. And so this is the way it works, that all in Christ are in Abraham. In other words, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian today, if you're in Christ, you're in Abraham. Because Christ is in Abraham. What does it mean, Christ is in Abraham? How does Christ get in Abraham? It's through his lineage. In other words, what the promise that came to Abraham, the promise to Abraham was when he was childless and beyond childbearing age, according to all human circumstances, were concerned, and his wife as well. The scripture says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And I'm going to give you a son, and his name is going to be Isaac. And in Isaac will come the line of Christ, will come the line of the Messiah. That's, that's why it's about the gospel. When it says, in you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed, because in you, Abraham, comes the lineage of Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. But you say, how do I get into Abraham because I'm not Jewish? I mean, certainly there are people who are in Abraham, in his line, in his seed. But I'm not. I'm Gentile. So how do I get into the line of Abraham? And the scripture clearly teaches again and again in the New Testament about being in Christ. Have you ever wondered why the New Testament talks about being in Christ? Being in Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian, being in Christ. That he is our righteousness. We're in him. Well, if you're in Christ, you are spiritually in Abraham. And so that's the way that though the scripture and the promise of Hebrews chapter 11 says this to us as we read it this morning. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, which is talking about Abraham, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The direct lineage from Abraham, his seed, didn't go to all the nations. It went to one nation. But the way that it spread beyond that, the way that it spread to all nations, was because in that line of Abraham came Christ. And if we are in Christ, spiritually speaking, we are in Abraham. If we are in Abraham, all of the promises come to us. You see, you cannot separate the two. You can't, you can't take um, Christ and separate him from Abraham, and you can't separate Abraham from Christ. The gospel was preached to Abraham. I want to go back to it this morning. I want to look at that promise. I want us to to really dwell on that promise in Genesis 
chapter 12 and just to think about what it says to us this morning as we as we think about it being the gospel this is what the writer of genesis says to us and this is the promise that god gave to him and gave to abraham i will make you a great nation and i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and in him and him who dishonors you i will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you abraham now again the jewish people distorted that the jewish people heard the first part of that promise i will make you a great nation and they just planted there they didn't really get to the last part of that where it says in you all the families of the earth will be blessed they didn't share the blessing in fact the reason that god turned to the gentiles to take the message of christ is because the jewish people sat on it they didn't take the blessing to the nations they didn't tell the world about the blessing that came through christ they didn't understand it they couldn't comprehend it they thought it was just for them But the promise was that he would bless all the families, all the nations of the earth. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God was going to do something in the line of Abraham that would take a wonderful blessing to all the nations of the earth, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And the determining factor is, are you in Christ? The determining factor is, have you trusted the promise of God for you in Christ? Just as Abraham had to trust the promise going forward, we have to trust the promise going back. In Romans chapter 4, the the place that I told you I wanted to end with, let's turn there now, and we'll conclude what we have to say this morning from that text. Romans chapter 4, the whole chapter... The whole chapter inserted into the book of Romans is about Abraham. The whole chapter you'll want to read. You might want to read it this week. In chapter 4 and verse um, verse 3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We already talked about that. Recounts how he believed the promise. He believed the promise that God had given him. And God counted it as righteousness. The promise, what promise? The promise of the gospel. How are we counted righteous? How are you counted righteous? You do it by believing the promise of the gospel. You certainly understand more of that gospel now. You understand how it's fulfilled in Christ. But it didn't start there. It went all the way back to Abraham. And you're counted righteous as well. You're counted righteous in a New Testament sense by faith in the promise, just as Abraham was counted righteous by believing the promise in the beginning. The same promise, the promise of of the gospel according to the book of Galatians because it said God preached the gospel to Abraham. You see, it's one story. It's one message. It's not two different things. It wasn't as though these Hebrew Christians could go back and turn back to Judaism and leave out Christ because to do that would not be not to believe the promise. The promise was fulfilled in Christ. And so to go back to Abraham would do them no good. They were cutting off half the message. They were cutting off the fulfillment of the message. They really didn't believe the promise if they go back. That's why it was so paramount that this writer got across to them that that though Christ seems to be a new thing, 
he goes back to the old. He connects the two together. And then, as you read in this chapter, I want you to pick up in verse 16. And all that we've just said, now I want you to listen to what it says about Abraham. And he's talking about depending on faith. It says in verse 16, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. You see that our faith is the same as the faith of Abraham. In the same promise. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, speaking of Abraham now, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, And then the commentary beginning at verse 20 says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, concerning the gospel that had been preached to him. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then there's a word that says, but, but. It doesn't end there. Here's the connection. Here's the connection between Christ and Abraham and Abraham and Christ. It says, but for ours also. For ours also will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, it's the same faith. The obedience of faith in Romans is the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, by faith, Abraham. Both were the same. And as we trust the promise, which is the gospel, in both of those cases, their faith was in the gospel as it was revealed to them. Certainly, Abraham didn't have the full picture that we have now, but the Bible says clearly the gospel was there, that he would be a blessing to all of the nations, to all the families of the earth in his line. And, and the fulfillment of that was, as, as his line went on, Christ the Savior came out of that line. And then all the nations will be blessed if they're in Christ. Because if they're in Christ, they're in Abraham. If they're in Christ, they're in all the promises to Abraham. So the promises given to Abraham, the blessing comes to all who are in Christ. That's the fulfillment of the promise that was made. That's the fulfillment that happened when Abraham obeyed God. He obeyed God, and God gave him Isaac, and through Isaac's line comes the Savior. You aren't justified in the Old Testament different than the New Testament. The glory of the gospel is it's one unified story. Now, I want to turn as we close this morning to the uniqueness of that message. We talked about the unity. It's one gospel. One gospel that gets progressively revealed. And we see the fullness of it as we look back. We see the fullness of it as we see it. And I hope this morning, as you understand Christ is not some 
isolated thing out here, unconnected to all of that. That's how the connection happens. It was the same promise. It was the promise Abraham believing it, and we believe it here as a New Testament people. But also what it's important to see is the uniqueness of that promise. Not just the unity of it, but the absolute uniqueness of it. The uniqueness of the promise is that we are counted righteous by faith. All the other religions of the world, every other religion that you can study and, and uh, take time to, to look, look up, you will find that all other faiths of the world are like this. You work for God, he rewards you. You do something, God rewards you. That's, that's all the face of the earth. Christianity is absolutely different than that. What Christianity says is, you believe and have faith in a God who will work for you. It is not a God you work for so that you can obtain merit, but you trust in a God who has promised to do a work for you if you will trust him. And what he's promised to do is to count you righteous by that faith, by believing the promise, by believing he would send a son, a savior, to deal with our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to provide a righteousness and a perfection that we had squandered because all of us had sinned. That's the glory of the gospel. It is not only a unified message from beginning to end, but it is an absolutely unique message. And one of the reasons today that, that, that I continue to believe, continue to persevere in faith. One of the reasons is that it's a unified message, that the more I see of the unity of that message, the more my faith is strengthened. I hope it's the same for you. The more that you see that it's not a disconnected bunch of stories in the Bible, but it's one story, it's one promise that was progressively fulfilled. And you see how it's fulfilled in the line of Abraham and, and being in Christ. But another way, another way that keeps me believing, another means by which God keeps me determined that this is the truth is the absolute uniqueness of this message. It is absolutely unique. In fact, we would not have come up with it on our own. It's not the way we're wired. As I said to you, when you look at those words that say the obedience of faith— I believe the natural man looks to the obedient part of it. The natural man is wired to believe that, that we do something for God and then he counts us righteous if we do enough. The gospel of Christianity is we believe God does something that is good enough by which we can be declared righteous, by which we can receive reward. He works for us. The gospel is about a God who has promised to bless a people who will become a blessing to the nations. I hope this morning that, that you see the absolute unity and uniqueness of Christianity. There is no other religion like it. And, and the degree to which you may be struggling today to, to believe or to walk in that belief is maybe, maybe you're not seeing the uniqueness of that message. Maybe somehow you started out seeing it, but you've let it get blurred. The uniqueness of the message of Christ is we are counted righteous by faith. 
by faith in the work of another. Is that what you stand in today? Is that where your hope resides today? A promise that was given 4,000 years ago to a man named Abram. And now today we see as fulfilled in Christ. Are you trusting that promise? Are you resting in that promise? Are you understanding that promise in its absolute uniqueness? That's the blessing that was promised to the nations. If you don't see it as a blessing, you don't, but you see it more as a weight on your shoulders, somehow you're not seeing it right. You're not seeing the blessing. Because the promise was God would bless the nations. And that's what the gospel does. This morning, we're going to sing together the song that we uh, sang as we did our offertory today. And it really centers in the idea that says, just show us Christ. Show us Christ. I pray this morning that God will show us Christ. Show us the promise of Christ in his word, whether it be in the Old Testament or the New. It's the same promise. It's a glorious promise that gets progressively fulfilled in Christ. And if you're in Christ... If you're in Christ, you are in Abraham. You are in that promise, and you inherit the blessing. Let's stand and sing together. Prepare our hearts, O God. Help us to receive. Break the hard and stony ground, help our unbelief. Plant your word down deep in us, cause it to bear fruit. Open up our Temptations makes the simple wise. Your word is fruit for famished ones, freedom for the slave, riches for the needy soul. Come speak to us today. 
Cross. 